So your mind can do incredible things. I've gone through so much pain, not just physically, um, emotionally, and being able to block that out as well to, at certain points in my life. That's what I have done. And I think that's that's probably a training factor to it too. Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring active interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. Today I'm joined by Irish international ultra runner Keith Russell. Keith was part of a world record breaking race in the grueling Race of Champions Backyard Masters. In this race, Keith ran a distance of, which, which we measure in laps of 89 yards, which was just under 600 kilometers. We'll talk about that a little bit more. The race started last Saturday, the 15th of May. We are now recording on Sunday, the 22nd. So it's less than it's less than a week since he's actually finished the race. Now, last year, Keith had covered a distance of 63 laps, which was an Irish record. And I think it might have been a European record for a short period of time. But this time around, there was a much stronger field. And this, actually, I'm not going to talk too much about the race because I'll let, I'll let Keith go through that. But he had a much better run this time. And it's the first time we think he's really been challenged in this kind of an event. So I'm here with Keith and I just want to let Keith start by introducing himself and then maybe talking a little bit about the race. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, John. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, as you say there, I've literally just came back from Germany just two days ago after running in the um, the backyard uh, Masters in, in retired in Germany. So uh, it was a field of, uh, it was a packed field really of uh uh, European and and world champion runners. We had Mori Mori from Japan, who is a well established runner. He's done 80, 80 yards in bigs last year. Yeah, we had a, a lot of the best runners in Europe. Um, you had to have a certain degree to get in there. You had to be over forty odd yards in a backyard, or you had to have done a ho- high profile race to get into this. So it was by invitation only by um, the race director Alex Hall. Can you explain what a yard is? Yeah, so a yard is basically a lap or a loop of a course, which is, uh, I work it out in kilometers, which is 4.67, but uh, in miles, it's 4.167 miles. So in kilometers, 6.706 kilometers. Yeah, yeah. to go that far, yeah. <laughs> now, I had asked you, did you know why it's that distance? And you didn't actually know. And it's quite of interesting that you didn't know because you don't need to know all you're concerned with is actually covering that lap within the allocated time now the reason it's 4.167 miles is because if you multiply that by 24 which is 24 yards you come in at close to just over 100 miles it's 100.008 miles and can you explain the format then of the race like what happens within the hour so what you do is at the top of every hour you start the race um, and you have to make it back to the finish line so it's a start finish line um, within the hour um, if you make it back within 40 minutes you get 20 minutes rest if you make it back in 50 minutes you get 10 minutes rest but you need to be on the start line to go again at the top of the next hour and it just keeps going and going until there's only one person left in the race do you think it's the fastest person on the lap that actually goes on to win the race 
Absolutely not. Um, and this is this is we were looking at the screen in retard, and they had your lap times, and whoever was coming in the quickest was top, and it went down to the slowest. Which, in actual fact, none of that actually even matters because I think the quicker you run these laps, the more fatigued you're getting. You're obviously getting more recovery time, but your body can only sustain so much. Um, so I think there there is um a sort of specific specific times that you come in at to balance it off that you're not too quick but you also have a sufficient rest too and what were you doing with the time that you had gained after a yard so initially at the start of the race um because you're not tired you're really coming in you're taking a bit of food on and you're chatting to your crew um as the as the race goes on um you're trying to grab a bit of sleep uh, then you're trying to get food you're trying to get your admin sorted and um, when you need to change socks, runners, tops, shorts, whatever it is, but you still have to be back out on the start line to go again, regardless. If you don't make it back into the corral, you just get timed out. When you mentioned there chatting with your crew, was there a point when the chatting stopped? No, be, well, it did by me, but the crew are always talking to you. Um, because you're out on the loop, you're on your own pretty much um, because it's, it gets spread out. And when you come in, your crew sort of chat to you just to make sure, see what you want. Um, not even to ask, yeah, you okay, but just basically to keep keep you going. Um, they'll take all the stuff off you, whether you had a jacket on, a water bottle. Um, they'll refill them. You lie down for a few minutes. When you get up, they'll give you food. Um, they'll basically tell you you're doing great, you're looking great, even though I knew I wasn't. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then you walk back out to the start line again with them. Then, you know, you sort of have a, try to have a bit of a laugh and uh, a chat on the start line um, before, before the race starts again. And at what point during the race did you start using that time to try and uh, get some sleep? Um, it, it actually started fairly early on this time because I knew I needed to bank them five minutes sleep because I knew this race was going to go for a long, long time. Um, so if I could start this early, um, that I had them five minutes, like if you do five minutes um, every hour for 24 hours, it, it works out nearly two hours sleep, you know. So when you calculate it that way, you know, you get two hours sleep within that, that one 24 hours. And I knew that I was going, going to be going for nearly four of them. I'll have to take your word for that. <laughs> and with your experience at 24-hour racing, did you find, because you're used to staying awake for 24 hours and longer, did you find it difficult to actually switch off and go to sleep? Initially, yeah, um, because I didn't feel I was tired enough. So you'd lie down, but, you know, because there's so many people in the race, it was 24 in this race and the hall we were in was full of people. It was very hard to sort of relax and, you know, you're still, you're anxious because you know the whistles are going to start going off because with three minutes before the start, you get three whistles. With two minutes before the start, you get two whistles and then you get one whistle for the final minute. Um, so you're, you're really lying there, you're waiting for that. Um, but <clears throat> as you come to the to the latter end of the race, I just walked in and I think I was asleep in two seconds. <laughs> so... Now, this was your third backyard event. When you went into the first one, you hadn't been ultra running for that long. Can you remember what it was actually like back then? Like, had you any expectations for the race? Um, I was actually meant to run uh, one of them races the year previous, um, but due to other races that I was doing, I had to pull out of it. Um, so this one came about because the 24-hour uh, national championships last year was moved to October. 
Um, so I took an entry into the last one standing in uh, Florida Manor. Um, yeah, look, I was excited about it. I knew the format of it. I've seen what other people had done. I'd seen some of the best runners in Ireland do it. Um, and I was just curious about how far I could go and sort of what was my breaking point, as they say. Um, so, yeah, I was very cautious going into it, but I was excited as well as to how far I could go. On Wednesday evening, I was up on my own running track and I was talking to a few of the athletes who have been following your race. And one of them said it must be very difficult to be focusing on the the time in that you haven't to finish the lap or in the error and also be focusing on your competitor. Now, I would guess that uh, with you during this most recent race, you were just focusing on, on the time and ignoring the competitor. But during the first race, did you feel any bit intimidated knowing the other runners who were there and the, the standard that they had already achieved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you when you look at these races on uh, social media and you look up uh, statistics of, of other runners, you know, they've done a lot of things um, and you just sort of, where, where do I fit in between all them? How can I get an edge on them? And, you know, obviously you want to you wanna race against the best um, in Ireland. And, you know, Ultra Run in Ireland has has grown so much in the last few years and there's more and more runners coming into things like this like myself new that are able to do incredible things so i think like a lot of these runners that were there um obviously didn't know who i was um but like they, they, they still look around at new people coming in and just see what what they can do and how much that they're going to be pushed by these new runners coming in in that in that kind of a scenario i think that a new runner can feel like they don't belong and that can hold them back. They, as I mentioned, they can be intimidated and mentally they can be defeated. So you've proven, I think, that your real strength lies in the mental side of things. Do you do much, uh, I'm not sure whether it's just mental training or or much, uh, much of your training that involves you training the mind? I think yeah probably doing it without actually realizing I'm doing it um a lot of my stuff could be repetition um when I'm injured as well I would be on a rowing machine you know like sitting on a rower for hours on end looking at a wall is it's tough it's uh, very mentally draining um I go out and I do loops of 2k loops and I could do that for four or five hours at a time so it's just being able to switch off the mind that you're not overthinking stuff um, but still cautious of what you're doing, cautious of time, cautious of pace. But um, yeah, just being able to switch off is is a massive, massive advantage in this race. I'm going to go back now to 2019. That's when you did your first 24-hour race, if I'm not mistaken. You covered a distance of 210.696 kilometers. Did you have a target going into that race? Well, it wasn't 210, it was 209. I think it was, I think it was uh, just a bit short of 210 at that stage. Um, I did, I sort of had a target and I didn't have a target. You know, um, 24-hour race is tough to pace it. It's, um, you know, you go out too fast, you suffer on the latter end of it. Or if you go out too slow, you should have picked it up. Do you know, so it's, it's very, very tough, especially for your first one. Um, but my first one, <laughs> I said I'd never do another one after that. <laughs> I was shattered. But um, yeah, look, a few days after, same as anything, you're going, when, when can I sign up for the next one? 
And then 2021, you did do another one. You ran a distance of 232.67 kilometers. So that was above the international B standard. And as you found out after finishing your race last week that you were selected to run in the 24-year European Championships, did you ever expect that to happen? Uh, no, to be honest. Um, like I'm, what was I, 30... 6 35 36 when i started running uh to run to represent my country was never really on my radar because i thought it was way beyond what i could do um but once i started training um you know and pushing myself like look the aim was to do 220 um or above but um you know when you when you're running with with the caliber runners that we have in ireland you know they, they push you along um like you get great support off the likes of ed uh ian keith alex aiden you know if you ever needed anything or any advice that they, they'd happily share it with you so um yeah like running with these lads really pushed me on and i was surprised actually to run over 230. now i'm gonna go a bit back and forward now because each time you say something it's, it's giving me some more questions i'm gonna go back to the most recent race and lap 89 you had both whatever you covered and uh, Merigen had covered was going to be a world record it was all down to who came back with the world record on lap 89 you returned during the lap why did you turn back um i just felt that my whole body was breaking down um not physically not mentally just my whole central nervous system um like i was struggling from a few hours previous to that i use uh, i had blisters on my tongue i was struggling to eat and uh, my chest i was coughing up um a lot of uh, stuff and that was i could be walking and i'd be coughing for four or five minutes at a time so it was just really really weighing on me um and then on the 89th lap when we had to go down into the meadow and walk up I was struggling walking up that I was my breathing uh, got really really uh, shallow and um, so I got to the top of it and I just spoke to Marin, Maran and I just said I won't make it up the other big hill that we have to go up I says I just won't make it back around so I just shook his hand and I turned and walked back down the meadow again and um, it was a very somber walk back to be honest because I was nearly disappointed with myself um, and then it's like it's like having to go back and and sort of explain to people why you stopped or why you turned around um and i, I suppose i sort of had that feeling of failure um even though i was on reflection of it now i'm one of two people in the world that has ran this distance in in backyard ultra running so you know i've a, a hell of a lot of positives to take from it but at the same time i know i can push further um and i know with experience i will definitely get further yeah, it is an incredible distance. And as you say, you're one of only two people in the world covering that distance. And there is also a possibility that it might never be beaten because in an event like this, it's not just you, you're relying on somebody else. So there is always something that's out of your control. Now, just out of curiosity, at what distance in that loop did you turn back? It was, I think it was in the first 10 minutes. It was probably a kilometre in is when he turned back so you had to go down into a meadow so you went down the meadow and then back up the far side and um, i just got back up the far side and i just 
had that, I wasn't going to make it back. So you hadn't reached that point of no return where what lay ahead of you was just as much as what lay behind you. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm wondering, if you had found out before that lap started that you had been selected to run in the European Championships, would that have pushed you on? Now, I'm, ju- I'm just, I'm not judging anything. I'm just kind of curious because of the way the mind works and would, would something like that have released endorphins and gave you a bit of extra push? Could that have maybe pushed you in a negative way that would have kind of brought you onto an injury or worse? Um, no, I don't think so. I think like uh, at, at the moment I have enough uh, in my mind and, and mentally to uh, to push on. So um, being told that I was selected to run for Ireland, I don't think it would have had any other bearing on anything else that I use for mental strength and to get through these races um it was just when i when i seen it after it's just it's a massive honor but again as i said like what i use within these races is running with my daughter and you know she's the reason why i'm here and this she's the reason why i'm second in the world and she she's the reason why I, i'm selected to run for my country you know i hope that didn't sound like an insensitive question but i'm just kind of curious about that because sometimes people can quit when they should be persisting and then they persist when they should be quitting well based on what you have said about your physical condition it was obviously the right decision to make and looking at you now you obviously made the decision in time because you don't look like you have just done what you have done and as i said it's probably be a long time before that kind of a record is broken i think you'd probably need maybe a group of maybe four or five of the of the top runners in the world going close to that distance that would you know, really put you in a position to uh, push you on yeah i think to be honest a lot of these races now are going to be looking for people of that caliber to come together um like you have big dogs backyard in tennessee so that brings all the best last one standing runners in the world together to try and beat that distance um like it was the world record was set there last year in october um and but none of the europeans were there because of restrictions to get into the us so i think next year then is going to be a, a massive test of that um that record uh, if we can all get there yeah that'll be some events that'll be what would you call it that will probably be the race yeah that'd be very very interesting yeah now, just what I mentioned there again about the whole mind-body connection, like, the, like the, there is a very strong correlation between the body and the mind, and perfect examples of that would be panic, uh, panic, panic attacks, anxiety, with the panic attack being a sudden and intense fear that manifests itself with symptoms that people are described as being similar to a heart attack, and even though there's no external reason for those things to be happening that the mind is controlling how the body feels i would think that during a race like this that there's would you be kind of looking for ways to or hoping that the race is going to end on every lap or i think you said that your target was 100 yards before you went into it was that your driving force to get to the end reaching that target rather than hoping that the other person would just drop out and you were going to get a win yeah like even when maury maury went um dropped out there was only myself and moran left you know uh, maury maury dropped out at 73 hours um and then for the next five hours i was trying to understand why 
Moran was still there, why he hasn't dropped out, you know. So I was nearly focusing my race at that stage on him <clears throat> when I should have been just focusing my, my race on me. Like, um, as we said, like we were looking to get to the world record. If he had dropped out at 75 hours or 76 hours, like we wouldn't have got the record. The race wouldn't have been as big as it is now. So, you know, you're you're completely in a different frame of mind, but you need to just sort of bring back to the present to where you are and say, well, I don't want him to drop out because I want him to, I need him to be here as well as he needed me to be here uh, to, to break his record, to break the European record, to break the world record, and then to try and go to the 100, to 100 hours. In a race like this, when you're at the start line, because of the distance, you know, that's ahead of you in the, in the lap, it's not very much, especially for the distances you cover. So like it's, it's well under 10K within the hour. So there's very little pressure to perform at the start. Can you pinpoint part of the race when it does start to feel that, yeah, there is pressure here, is when it becomes, you know, that there's less and less runners in the event? Or is it when it just comes down to the last two? It's more in around 30 hours is when you start. I like I always say this race doesn't start before 30 hours. 30 hours is the warm up, you know, and anybody that is there after 30 hours are there to, to be there till the end. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, that's when you sort of ha start to look around about who, who wants to be here. Even like even in the Irish ones, I've seen it like people just want to do 24 hours and, and stuff, like that, which is which is perfectly fine. Um, but obviously you have the like myself that want to keep pushing ourselves um, want to be there till the end. You know, like I done this the Castle Ward one in February um, and Carl McFarland, a new incredible ultra runner. Um, we stood on the start line at the 36th hour and he said, Keith, I, I could be here for the next 30 or 40 hours and still come second. You know, um, unfortunately, that's a mindset that he had. And I, I presume that he's he'll change that for the next one. He went and uh, won the one in the Dublin Mountains there recently. But, you know, I think for him, that's what he needed. He needed to change his mindset. He needed to say he wanted to be there. He wanted to beat me and he was going to stay there for as long as I was there. Um, and that's, you know, that's sort of the mindset that I went into in my first one. Um, like what I heard was nobody was going to beat Peter Cromie. Um, so my goal was to be there for as long as Peter was, was there. And how do you train for a race like this with regards to the physical side of it? Uh, I'd be out, I'd go out running at night. So I'd go around uh, the Hill of Tara in Mead. It's an iconic place in Mead. Um, so the Hill of Tara is 3.4 kilometers a lap with uh, 60 meters ascent each lap. So I do two laps within 43, 44 minutes. And then I limit my rest time to six minutes um, to do my admin, to get me food, and then just to sit down. So what happens is then your body sort of tries to go into recovery mode um, and then you get back out and you go again for another two laps. So I'll do that for probably about eight or nine hours and then I'll stop and then I'll be back running within two hours. So within that two hours, I go home, try and sleep. Um, but once you get up after, you re realistically only get about an hour of sleep, but it feels like only a minute. Uh, and then it's very, very hard to try and get up, to get out again, to go running again. So it's sort of trying to create all that 
uh, physical fatigue as well as that mental battle between yourself and your your body about like I really don't want to do this. <laughs> so you get very event specific. You train the way the the race actually runs. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that's that's not something I, I would have just thought of, but yeah, it does make perfect sense. But I'd be thinking to maximize the available time to run. But as we know from ultra races, there's a, a phrase that's used quite regularly: "Beware of the chair," because when somebody sits down or stops that the body does start shutting down and the further or longer you go into an event, the more chances of you getting stuck to that chair become a reality. And it is, I suppose, a good way of practicing what you're going to do during it. When you were taking part in the event last week, what were you doing with, say, apart from the sleep, what were you doing during that that time that you had uh, when you completed the lap? I take it you needed toilet breaks and then you had to be feeding. Yes. So, yeah, it's same. You'd be taking off your shoes and socks. You'd be taking off your T-shirt because it was so hot. Um, T-shirts were getting wet fairly quick with sweat. And then you get chafing and stuff like that. So I was probably changing. I changed my socks and my runners every six hours. And I only had two pairs of runners. So I swapped them between the two pairs. So I was just airing them out. Um, and socks as well, changing them. Just checking blisters. Um, I didn't get a whole pile of blisters just a few one of my heel that was sort of aggravating me and i had a compete plaster and i had to take that off because i had to burst the blisters with three blisters underneath so i'd burst them once i'd done that that was that was fine um my feet were perfect there was no issues with them with that long distance so just checking stuff like that and making sure that nothing that is going to affect you in the latter end of the race that could stop you and it's worth mentioning that if you didn't have those things completed before the next hour started that's it you were gone yes if you didn't make it back out to the corral yeah you were gone yeah so it was obviously like a pit stop in the Form, formula, formula one, one wouldn't have a yeah. patch on us yeah. <laughs> and how many people did you have crewing for you uh so i had my coach marcus smith and uh gv was there as well gv an irish filipino he was running it so he was he went to 26 hours and then he pulled out and um, but i had a few of the, a few of the uh, belgians help me out as well so that's typical of a lot of these races, isn't it? Like people do help each other. And I suppose in this particular form of a race, you are relying on the person who you're competing against because if you don't push on, he can't push on. Absolutely. And at these races, other crews are absolutely brilliant. You know, they'll see you on your own and they will say to you, if you need anything, let me know. Um, whether it be make a, make you a cup of tea, make you soup or make you whatever it was, heat something up for you. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible um you know what what they do for each other now you mentioned training at night time is is there a reason why you train at night time because the race at night time or is it because your schedule dictates that you can only get out at night time there's a bit of both so i i take my son on a saturday um so i'd have him all day saturday till about six o'clock and then i drop him home so that's when i'd go out training so i'd either if i have a massive weekend i train on the friday night into the saturday morning um, I'd pick him up and I'd go off with him then for the day. Then I'd go out running Saturday night um, till Sunday morning. And Sunday is really where I'd get my uh, my recovery from the weekend. So realistically, I could be 48 hours on the go with work on Friday, out running Friday night, have him Saturday, out running Saturday night. So I think that's all building for the sleep deprivation. I think it helps with the 24 hour as well that you don't get fatigued running through the night. 
Um, and to be honest, it's a lot. It's a lot that people don't do. It is run through the night. Like you're looking to run a 24-hour race, or you're looking to run a last one standing. Like, of course, you're going to have to train at night to 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 feel what that fatigue is going to be like, because your body wants to sleep. Your body wants to shut down. Um, I think I identified fairly early that between two o'clock in the morning and five o'clock in the morning is where I struggle most. That my body was so tired it just needed to sleep. Whereas now I've sort of nearly combated that, that I can keep going through the night. Okay, I agree with that to some extent, that training at night time will help you prepare for sleep deprivation. That's, I think, okay for somebody who has a very settled lifestyle, working nine to five, they have that time. But it sounds like you're very, very busy. So do you think there's a chance of burnout? It's always a chance of burnout, um, but you still have to, you have to realize that, you know, like uh, before the, the the last one standing in Castle Ward, I had two very, very heavy weeks of training. Um, and then the third week, I just, uh, I was tired and I just said it to Marcus, my coach, he says, I'm, I know I'm physically fatigued here. And he goes, that's cool. He says, we'll, we'll dial it back a bit for a couple of weeks. You know, once he knows I'm not, saying it just for the sake of saying it you know what i mean so it's all about uh honesty with yourself um that you're pushing hard enough for the weeks previous and that if you need to dial it back you dial it back you know um but a lot of people don't even get to that point where that i feel really really fatigued they think they do but they don't yeah i'd agree with that and it sounds like you've a good coach athlete relationship where there's trust and a good kind of a, a good feedback loop where absolutely yeah. And the first the first time I met him was uh, at this race in Germany. Uh, Thirty hours into the race, he arrived to crew for me. <laughs> oh yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people uh, talk a bit too much about their mental strength, and they don't actually practice the physical. And then if you haven't got if you haven't trained the physical, a strong mind will only lead you to getting yourself injured. You really have to be doing the training. So there's no point in talking about how strong you are mentally if you don't train the physical. Now, I got a bit distracted there as you were talking about answering the last question. I'm going to go back to your finishing uh, a yard or loop. What were you eating within that time? Um, so it could be anything really. Like, uh, it'd be stuff with a lot of salt on it anyway because it was so warm. You were sweating so much. Um, so you could have fried potatoes. You could have uh, pasta, um, cups of soup with bread. Um, but you weren't eating that on every lap. You didn't need much substantial food on every lap. So every five hours, you have something something decent to eat. Um, other laps, you could have, um, say, like a couple of jelly sweets with uh, a few pretzels and a bit of cheese and a cup of tea. Um, it's a bit of Coke, um, tailwind, water, that sort of thing. Did you suffer with any gastric discomfort? No, none whatsoever. Now, on your Strava, it had estimated that your calorie expenditure came in at almost 50,000 yeah. uh, calories now a phenomenal amount and you hear people talking about ultramarathons being eating competitions which, which they're not there's a limit to how much you can eat and your body can process there's no way you were you were taking that in during the event it will be impossible I think what people fail to realize is that a lot of the energy that you're expending is already in your body it's already stored there and it's through training you teach the body to be able to utilize that stored 
fuel as uh, as energy during during the race. Were you surprised when you looked at what your estimated calorie expenditure was? I was. I was very surprised. But we seen um, about on the second day or third day that I had lost weight. Um, you could see it in me. Like with 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 this sort of race, you're not burning uh, carbohydrate. You're burning fat. You know, which is fat is stored like a thousands times more than than carbohydrate is. Um, but we looked to we sort of looked to get fifty to sixty grams of carbohydrate in every hour, whether that be within tailwind or whether it be like an almond finger. Like tailwind is twenty five grams of carbohydrate, almond fingers around twenty five to thirty grams. So I pretty much know what's uh, how many grams is in 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 what foods. Um, but again, like you don't want to overfeed yourself, but you don't want to eat too little either. So it is it is a balancing act. And you sort of get used to it. Um, the only thing that happens is like when you don't feel like you want to eat. But like if you have crude air that sort of will talk to you and sort of keep feeding you at the same time. So you don't realize that you're eating. Um, that is that's vital. And as you say, like in these types of races, your crew is going to make your race for you. Your crew is going to get you as far as they can. Um, and you wouldn't be able to go that distance without a good crew behind you. Um, there's, there's just absolutely no way. Yeah, I totally agree. The crew is very, very important. And had you many people actually in your crew? So you mentioned your coach and Joyvy. Was, was that was that it? Pretty much, yeah. I think you need people there that 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 trust that you trust and that trust you and that have your best interests interests at heart. Okay, when the body is in motion, it helps you to stay awake. But because they're not moving as much, there is more of a a temptation for the body to shut down and start falling off asleep did they get any proper rest during the race yeah they were sort of going off every so often so what they would do is they'd sort of swap between them um so they'd probably go for two or three hours each which kept them going and in good spirits so yeah as you say like when i come back i don't need uh, a crew member there just tired or just saying that they're tired and you know you know like whinging and stuff like that and and that's as a runner you just look at them you're like going well like you're tired imagine what what way we are because we're running the same loop all the time you know but look we, you, you don't normally get that the crew are very very good they they sort of swap between themselves and um, when you're out on a lap they can grab 40 minutes sleep um, they normally set an alarm for when you're coming in. You hear all the alarms going off around 40, 45 minutes around the hall um, just to, to wake them up so that when the runner comes in. Yeah, that can be a, a thankless job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you have, have to be nice to your uh, crew members. With the race in general, what is the most difficult part? Is it when you stand at the start line or you approach the start line thinking of what's ahead? Because in your head, you had... 100 errors 100 yards or is it when it gets close to the end when you become mentally and physically fatigued to a level that no one except you can now appreciate like there's nobody nobody else except you guys who can kind of appreciate what that kind of level is like or is the difficult part in the middle when you've kind of gone to the point where you're you're starting to suffer the effects of sleep deprivation and there's the not knowing of when it's going to end that's a long question but there's a couple of different answers too 
Um, Do you remember all the questions that, was that long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, so firstly would be the first 30 hours. So going to a race like this, the first 30 hours, you know, is basically a formality um, to get to the 30 hours. And you're sort of like going, can we not just cut that first 30 hours out and we we'll start from 31? But that just that's just a warm up to what's coming. Um, the middle section of the race is exciting because once you get to, say, 42, 48 hours, you know, you're two days in. You know, the, the race has never gone that far for another half. So we're looking at, okay, so we're probably halfway there or over halfway. So that's exciting part because you're just tipping off, ticking off the miles. Um, and then at the latter end, as you say, you try to grab as much sleep as you can every five minutes, but you still get sleep deprivation when you're up in the forest. Like it's it's black, dark. You can't, like you switch off your head, like you cannot see a thing. Um, you're walking up hills and you're falling asleep. And you, you just sort of you sort of wake up and you're just looking around to see even where you are because you can't even remember where you are. Um, I had one um, one really bad hallucination where I was coming up the, the mountain and I was talking. I woke up and I was talking and I could see somebody beside me. But when I turned to look at them, there was nobody there. Um, so you just sort of it wasn't scary or anything. It was just the fact that I had to realize that I was falling asleep here. I was getting really mentally and physically fatigued. Um, so I had to sort of I had to do something to try and combat that. Um, so you just try to say, right, I need to stay awake. But again, it just happens two minutes later. So it's <laughs> you just have to try and get back around to get that other five minutes sleep to try and, and sort that out. Right, I'm glad you mentioned mental fatigue now because mental fatigue is something that can really negatively negatively influence your physical performance. It's It happens when it happens, but is there anything you do or think you will do the next time around to, I suppose, delay the onset of mental fatigue? Yeah, well, as I said b- before this one here, I, end, I tried to get them five minutes sleep in early rather than leaving it till... 24 hours or 30 hours I tried to get them in well before that and I think even so coming up to the night hours before it gets dark I tried to grab uh, five minutes sleep the two or three hours previous to before it gets dark so that you've sort of banked them 15 minutes sleep and because obviously your your body starts to get tired and when it gets dark because it just it should be sleeping at that time. So, yeah, you just try and bank them hours, uh, them few minutes sleep, uh, just to try and limit the amount of fatigue that you're going to feel. Yeah, I've read some studies on mental fatigue, and it said that mental fatigue doesn't affect the physiological uh, areas, such as your VO2 max, or your lactate threshold, or your time to fatigue, but it can affect your perception of effort, and the relative time to exhaustion, so you'll you'll think that you're tired, more tired than you actually are. And well, it's it's kind of a safety mechanism with the, with the brain, and it happens a lot in really long distance races. But if somebody goes to a race and they're carrying some fatigue, say you've been travelling a long way to get there, and you've flights that you couldn't sleep on, you've jet lag, that can affect your mental fatigue or. Maybe if you're on the plane and you're playing video games or doing stuff that is, is mentally challenging, that can affect it. And overthinking what you're going to be doing. And it, 
I suppose one of the biggest ways of preventing mental fatigue is sleep and being able to sleep. Do you have difficulty sleeping or are you would you be a good sleeper? Do you wake with an alarm clock? Yeah, I wake with an alarm clock, yeah. And I'd, I'd be in bed probably about nine o'clock in the evening. So um, say during the week's working, I get up at five o'clock for work, but I'd be in bed for nine o'clock um, and I do wake up an alarm clock. But during at the weekends, if I have big training sessions, I mightn't sleep that much. So, yeah, it's uh, it's sort of you can't try and combat the two because even sleep, sleep for recovery is massive um, as well as nutrition. So, um, yeah, I, I do. I try to I try to get as much sleep as I can because I, I know that the benefits of it. And what tips would you have uh, or would you like to share for anybody who would like to, I suppose, prevent mental fatigue? In a race? Yeah, or, or in the lead up to a race? Um, well, obviously, the two weeks leading up to a race, it's trying to get as get into bed early, turn off your phone, like don't be scrolling on your phone, which is a massive part of people staying awake till 11, 12 o'clock at night. But they say they'll be in bed at half nine, you know. So I think, yeah, just once you go to bed, turn off the mobile phone and... You know, you find you have an incredible night's sleep. Like you get seven or eight hours sleep and you feel so refreshed going into going into work. So, and that's very obvious. So really by reducing the potential causes of fatigue before and during your race, you should potentially have a, a better outcome. Yeah. Do you rely on, say, mental imagery during your race? I rely on before a race. I rely on visualize, visualization. So and that's what you do with the Hill of Tara. Yes. So uh, before my race, I actually only spoke about this to uh, a friend of mine the other day. He was asking me about um, a football team, but uh, and what would I do before a race? And we spoke about visualization of uh, how a race can go or how a football match can go. What you're going to do? Um, so I think if you can visualize yourself. Um, exceeding all your expectations in a race as in time or distance or you know i think you have to see these things in your mind's eye before these these things can happen um, and i'm a massive believer in that and any any time i'm out on training sessions say even around i do tempo sessions around the block here um i would be thinking of say now like running for ireland in the 24 hour what that's going to feel like getting the whole emotion going um and wanting to know what that feeling's like um so yeah i i do all that yeah yeah i think the mental side of it is very important and mental imagery and some people dismiss it because maybe because they don't even try and think about what it is but if you were to say to someone i'll meet you in we'll say Costa Coffee in Navan, immediately in their head, they're coming up with the image of Costa Coffee. And then they're walking out, if you've set a time, they're maybe thinking of the traffic and working out how long it'll take them to get from A to B and all that's going on inside the head. And that is mental imagery where you're kind of planning out, planning it out ahead, in your head. Uh, and that helps you to reach the, reach the final outcome of where you, where you want to be. I want to talk a bit about your pain threshold versus pain tolerance. How much pain would you go through in one of these races? Um, I don't think I go through a whole pile of pain, to be honest. Um, 
Like, as I say, now, that makes me think that you do have a very high pain threshold or else you've a high tolerance to pain. Possibly. Like, I know, like, you do get sore knees, you get sore calves and all this sort of thing. Like, and, you know, you just, you just block it out as best you can. And I think that's what you have to do because if you start letting these things into you, they're just going to get worse and worse. So I think, like, this is where the mindset comes in like if you want to be sore you're going to be sore if you want not to be sore you need to block that out and it, it is all down to how your mind works your mind can do incredible things i've gone through so much pain not just physically and um, emotionally and um, being able to block that out as well to, at certain points in my life that's what i have done and i think that's that's probably a training factor to it too can you recognize the difference between pain from fatigue and just an overworked muscle and pain from an injury? And if you thought that there was a potential for an injury, would you actually stop? I think I would know the difference. Um, I've never had it, but I think I would know the difference. Would I stop now is another thing. I don't think I, I'd, I'd be able to bring myself to stop. Um, I would just... I suppose I'd get through that race. I might have to dial your pace back slightly, um, but I would probably get through that race and worry about it after about okay what do i need to do now to to rectify that and and for it not to happen again yeah that can be a good a good thing being able to push through the pain if it's the the right kind of pain but then it it's not so good if it leads you to an injury and well you don't know what the injury could be like when you were eight lap 89 uh, so maybe you were probably two or three laps away from being opposed seriously injured maybe i don't know um is that a toughness do you think as well that's driving you no i i think it's a i think it's a fear of pulling up um too soon you know and i think that's a lot of people look for a get out card first of all so if they're feeling under pressure it's like what can i like you've been in a race before where you're you know you're under pressure your heart rate's through the roof and you're going oh i think i'll just say my hamstring went you know and or stress fracture that's the big yeah one. Yeah. <laughs> it cross, yeah look it crosses everybody's mind that's pushing themselves it's not just the people that pull up you know even the best runners i'm sure gary o'hanlon has felt it before going oh i'm under pressure i think i'll do this but doesn't you know it's um i'd just be afraid that i'd pull up on something that actually wasn't too severe in the first place yeah, but I think someone like Gary would know when it's time to quit. Yeah. But there are other runners out there who just talk the talk and they look for an excuse and they can make up an excuse. And like I think mental toughness is, and actually physical toughness is something that can be developed. And it takes a while to develop. And I think it's actually going to be harder for people to develop now because we're living so kind of sedentary lives and people have it so handy. I think hardship now... As I said, if somebody is going to the fridge and there's no milk or there's no chocolate biscuits in the press, so that toughness isn't built into people from from an early age. So it does require a lot of uh, a lot of work and effort. But again, toughness and you know a, an overdeveloped mental strength with regards to your physical strength can be something that can lead to injury and maybe maybe worse. How do you stay focused during a race? Do you rely on anything like uh, caffeine or stimulants? Yeah. So I, t- I have caffeine tablets that I take. Now I used to, I well I train with music. I'd listen to headphones. Um, so out in the hill of Tara on my own, the black dark, just with one headphone in, it's grand, you know what I mean? 
Um, this race here, I think I had my headphones in for about three or four hours and I took them out. They were just annoying me. like, And I ran for 85 hours without headphones in. Ran on my own, ran the black dark. Um, and I don't know why that was, um, considering that I do a true training. But there was something about it that was just so much more satisfying. Um, you take so much more in. Um, and... I think I got a lot more out of it than if I did had did did have a head headphones in listening to music. No, I'm not going to embarrass you, and I don't want to be judging you when we leave here. So I'm not going to ask you <laughs> what's on the playlist. So don't don't tell me because I think you're a nice guy, like you, and I don't want to be <laughs> judging you as I leave here. So we we just leave 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 the music at that. Maybe you on, can, on that note we'll move on. We, yeah, on that note we move on. You're very motivated and sometimes with someone who's highly motivated, the hardest thing to do can be to do nothing. And then there's the mental side of it. If, do you have any downtime from the training? Now, when I say downtime, that can mean there's the physical side of it and then there's the mental side of it. If you're always thinking about what you're going to be doing or having to do, or if you're always looking for a way of getting the training in, again, that's still being... Uh, in the training zone the training mindset do you have downtime not really um like i could have a few hours on a sunday and uh, where i'd be here but when i'm training i'll have we were in the middle of asking and answering a question and the memory card was full so we had to leave your house we had to go to did back again the card we got wasn't working. So we've kind of lost the flow of where we were. So I think we were talking about uh, concentration and focus and ways to stay mentally stimulated. And I asked, did you use caffeine? So let's take it from there. Yeah, I do. I use um, I use caffeine tablets. Um, now, I know we, we spoke previously before about uh, going off caffeine for two weeks before um, one of these races so that caffeine and caffeine tablets would have more of an effect. Um, but this one, I didn't stay off it for two weeks um, just to see because I, I didn't think that it was had that much of an effect on me. Um, you mean you didn't want to give up coffee for two weeks? <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I actually felt that um, I don't think I had a massive benefit that if I did stay off it before the race, all it did was give me a headache for three days. <laughs> right. Mm. But the science says that if you uh, wean yourself off caffeine, that it will help. And in this case, I think we can tell ourselves stories and we kind of twist them to suit the outcome that we want. So... Do you think it might have been just a placebo effect with it this time? I could well have been, could well have been. But look, look, I I probably will do it for the next race for the twenty four hour anyway. Do you know what I mean? Because um, at least staying awake or staying uh, with caffeine stimulant during a twenty four hour race would be would be vital as well. Now we've talked a lot about the race now and your strategies involved and the preparation, the build up, the execution of the race, and also the outcome. And you've been back in Ireland just, what's it, two days? About two days, yeah. How do you feel the recovery is going? Um, recovery's going well. Um, as we were chatting about off, off air, we were, we were talking about all the, the cafes that I went to in town and they're all giving me food, which is great. I think they all feel sorry for me just see that I've lost weight. 
And is that why you find it hard to give up coffee as well? Yeah, probably so, yeah. <laughs> now, let's go back to before these races. Why are you running? What's your why? So I would have started running in 2016 uh, with my daughter, Alana. Um, so she had spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. And I would have just started running with her just to, I would have actually started walking with her at night and stuff like that just to get her out of the house because she was a bit uh, full of anxiety, high needs, that sort of thing. So I wanted to just do something different. And we were at a race with a good friend of mine and I seen uh, people put a, a, a running chair into the back of a, a van. And he says, this is what I'd like to do with Alana. So... From then on, we, we set a goal up to run Dublin City Marathon in, in 2017. And I got my father's company to donate a wheelchair um, a, a wheelchair to me, a racing chair. And our goal was then to raise money for the, mess, the respite care home that Lan attended, the Meadows, um, in Navan. Um, so our aim was to raise a, a wheelchair for a wheelchair accessible bus. And were you doing any running or sports before Alana started you out, out on your evening walks? Um, I would have given up playing football probably about, uh, about three or four years prior to that. I would have given up playing Gaelic football. Um, I was in and out of the gym, um, not doing anything too major. I was smoking at the time as well and I was drinking. Um, but this gave me a focus to to give up smoking and to really put all my time and effort into doing something that was going to benefit a lot of other people and benefit myself and benefit Alana. And would you have had any thoughts on running a marathon previous? Yeah, I would have said, I always said I'd love to run one, but the training and stuff like that that went into it, I just, I just wasn't, wasn't me. Um, There was too much. So like uh, with a, the company I worked for at the time, I was talking to a few lads and one of the lads in there ran several marathons and he kept on to me about it. And I just, I kept saying, yeah, and then I just wouldn't bother doing anything about it. So that went on for a couple of years. But I think it was when I had a real desire and a real goal to do it um, that I was able to just sort of put all my focus into doing that with, with Alana. So that sounds like you couldn't do it when it was for you, but then when you had a different reason to do it, it exactly yeah. absolutely what year did you say you ran the marathon with Alana so I ran that in 2017 so she's still the youngest ever participant finisher of the Dublin City Marathon and how did that day go for you oh, it was fantastic it was like we had all the money raised for the wheelchair accessible bus before race day um, and like we had travelled the country before that doing different races and like everywhere we went we got a, an incredible reception um like Alana was she was loved everywhere she went like and she was you know she was always smiling always laughing and you know it sort of sort of wrote off and pushed off onto me as well like and you know the fun that we had and like I used to drag her by the by the legs to the end of the bed and go come on Alana let's go running and big smile would come across her face you know because she knew exactly where we were going and what we were doing so say so going to to the, to the marathon on, on race day she was really excited and it was an early start for her too so I don't think she was a bit happy with that she was a bit cranky but um, when we got on the start line and people were coming up to her to say hello and she was getting all excited and you know it was fantastic um, fantastic day and 
like you've crowds around Dublin City Marathon along the streets shouting our name and you know it's phenomenal um, would you say that you're still running to keep that memory alive then that day yeah absolutely like um, I, I work in Dublin and anytime you drive or you come on you see a part of the route of the marathon like I do get visions of of the two of us running down the side of the road like it's um, you know I've I've made some incredible memories in my in my life so far, and I like that's what I say. I'm I'm here to build up my life my life experiences now, but that day still remains and will always be the top of my uh, my memory list. I was actually just thinking that that was obviously the event that that started you off, and you started off for a particular reason. And what you did in your most recent race, you know, for for some people that would be beyond the world of dreams, and that would be a proudest racing moment but for you it's probably the one that stares you off yeah absolutely yeah and do you I suppose I don't want to say the wrong thing but would you would you say that it's safe to say that 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 is probably that 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 memory is what's fueling your drive to be what you are now like that's there's a, a an inner drive inside you now that I suppose not many people have yeah I think um when I started running with Alana, my first instinct was give up smoking, stop drinking and put everything I have into this to make it a memorable day for me, for her, for, you know, the people that were donating money to us. Um, since since then, like, yeah, it's, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for having Alana. Like, I believe people come into your, to your life even for a short time and they change your life forever and that's what she's done to me and you know I, I, I couldn't change I couldn't change back to what I was now um uh it's it this this is me now this is this is who I am and just going back again to before that marathon and you were saying that that you've seen a, a wheel uh, a running wheelchair being put into a, sorry, a racing wheelchair being put into a, a car and that yeah has inspired you and i'm sure that your participation in that in that marathon back in what's it 2017 has inspired many others would you ever think of it in that way like that what what you have done and what you were doing is inspiring people to do similar i i don't um i don't think of it that what i do inspires people um you know like people see you and same, same as me, I suppose. You, you see it and you go, I'd love to do that. And, you know, people do get in contact with me about how, how you how you go about Well, that proves that you were exporting somebody then. Because if somebody's coming to you and looking to you, they're, they're, they're coming to you because they've seen what you've done. And that's why they're asking you, isn't it? Yeah, probably so. Because, I look, I don't do things to inspire people. I do things that I, like that, inspire me or want that i want to do and you know i suppose people do look at you and say i i'd love to do something like that you know and i think especially having a child with special needs you know to integrate them in the community like there's not many services out there um so like getting them out of the house is very very tough so for me then going out running with alana that was me integrating her into the community 
um, and getting her out of the house. And she she like she starts sleeping a lot better. She wasn't as anxious as she would have been when she was just in the house. And I don't believe that you should have to keep kids inside or you know just because they have special needs. I think you, you need to get them out. You need to get them out and, and doing things like and there's a lot of facilities now. Um, even in gyms now are starting. Um, uh, classes for kids with special needs and things like that. Well, the question I'm sure a lot of people would be looking to know the answer is who was your biggest inspiration? So I think you've you've answered that uh, question yourself. So, uh, and then without realizing it or, or trying to, you are actually in inspiring others. Like I, I do get a lot of I do get a lot of messages off people saying that you know that I have inspired and do yeah that's things great though, and, isn't it yeah absolutely it's but very humbling you know for for me that I've came from I haven't been running all my life I've come started running when in early early to mid thirties you know I haven't looked to represent my country at that time and I haven't never in my wildest dreams thought that I'd be where I am now so. I suppose, like, Alana being there, um, giving me the drive to do the Dublin, the, the marathon, and, and now to where I am now because this was my coping mechanism, you know, and, and that's, I suppose, what inspires people. Well, my next question would have been, what brought you from the marathon to the ultramarathon? You kind of answered that, but maybe you can give us in a bit more detail because I suppose part of it must have been you you seen a race or heard of a race because it's not something that's just yeah, obvious. Absolutely. Like um like Alana passed away six weeks after doing Dublin City Marathon. Um and for a long time that that hit me so hard, like it it broke me. Um I was find it very, very hard to cope. Um and you know we had we had to still hand over the keys for the bus um, so what we did was we ended up organising a memorial run for Alana and we handed over the keys for the, the bus to the, the Meadows Respite Care Home. It was about 1,500 people turned out to this race and, you know, it was just incredible day. Um, you know, it was all full of fun and laughter and memories and, you know, a lot of people that we'd met along the way um, within the last year of us running and travelling the country. So... I think from then on, I think I just wanted to get back running. So I decided then that I go into go I go back to Dublin City Martin in two thousand and eighteen, um, where we got the Lord Mayor's Medal, and um, they retired Alana's number one four one from uh, Dublin City Martin, and I think then it was like okay, I need to, I need to start pushing on, and I like. I started looking up then sort of ultra marathons and I seen the one Dublin to Belfast and that something appealed to me with that, whether it being running from south to north or city to city. Um, so that appealed to me like 172 kilometers and the train and I loved it because it was all down to I was out on my own. I was able to process a lot of thoughts that was going on inside my head surrounding Alana's passing and stuff like that and everything you see that morning. Um just sort of if it gets stuck in your head it can it can lead to very drastic things for you but i think if you if you're able to sort of express it and get it out in a in a reasonable manner um you know it's better for you and and you know it's better for your body it's better for your mental health and following dublin to belfast what did you do then or how did you find what to do then i found it really on social media 
um, and it wasn't even it's not I, I was looking for it I was just sort of flicking through and you know I loved the whole day of Dublin to Belfast and you sort of get that at the end at the finish line right that's it done I'm never doing that again but obviously two days later it's like okay where can I find my next one it's that like that dopamine hit and that um, and as we spoke about before it's not about finish lines with thousands and thousands of people like Dublin to Belfast was a finish line with I think there was five or six people. Um, so I think it was that as well. I wouldn't be great with big crowds and, and, and stuff. But yeah, I ended up seeing the, uh, it was all actually called Energy at 24 at the time, which is the um, 24 hour around uh, Victoria Park in Belfast. So my aim was to do that and training. I was I didn't have a coach at this time. So I was just training myself and sure I was end, I was just end up doing loops of uh, Blackwater Park and Navin, uh, which is 1.6k loops. And I was doing that for four, five, six hours at a time. Now, I started off by asking you the question, <coughs> why are you running? When you go through tough times in the race, do you ask yourself that question or is the answer always there? You always know the reason for what you're doing. Um, it's not always there. Like sometimes you have to nearly drag it forward. Um it's easy to do it uh, when you're in good spirits, but when you're really down in the dumps and feeling really, really bad physically, mentally, you know, it does take an awful lot to drag that out there. But what happens is like I'd start, say, nearly cursing to myself in my own head. But what I used to do with Alana was anytime I was under pressure, I'd start cursing and she'd start laughing. So once I start that getting really, really down, really, really physically, mentally tired, I would start cursing to myself, going, come on, Keith, come on. And then what I would hear is Alana's laughter in the background. So, yeah, that that then sort of kicks in from that whole memories then of running with her and what why I'm here and what I'm doing. And would you call those negative thoughts or is it just something that's coming from uh, fatigue or lack of motivation? Yeah, it'd be just from fatigue and, you know, when you get tired and you feel that your body's done or the race is over, you know, so it is just from fatigue, it's from tiredness um, and once you can sort of start blocking that out, um, you can get back to racing again. And what's next for you? Um, Well, I'm supposed to be doing the Irish National Championships now in June. Um, What I'm hoping to do, because I finished third in it last year, um, Recovery wise, I don't know how I'll be then, but look, I'll go up and, I, and I'll see how I get on. If I have to ease it back, I'll ease it back. But the main the main race now this year would be to represent Ireland in Italy in uh, in September for the 24-hour European Championships. Well, let's go back now to the 24-hour National Championships. When you go into that race, as you said, you're kind of unsure in a way of how your body's going to be. Would you be someone who would just have an outcome goal of a target for the end of it? Or would you have multiple performance goals for during the race whereby you want to cover, first of all, maybe 100k, you might want to hit 12 hours, 100 miles, and then look on anything beyond that as a bonus? No, I, I'd be more of an overall target person because the way I run, I don't... Um I don't go out fast and see how much I can hang on. So what I my strategy is a lot different. Um, as like we've obviously spoke about this before, and Ian Keat does it to a T. Um, 
So you you have to be more disciplined at the start and then, you know, you sort of maintain more so than drop off. And, you know, you have people that pass you five, six, seven, eight times in the first 12 hours, but you have to sort of stay disciplined and stick stick to your strategy and believe that it will work. And most of the time it does work, it does pay off because in the latter end of the race, they're walking and you're still maintaining the same pace that you've started at the very start. That's almost like what you said about the backyard ultra is the the race starting at 30 laps. So really in a 24-hour race, it's easy to be leading the race at, at the start, but you're not winning the race until you've you've won it. And the first 12, 16 hours are really getting yourself into a good position to be able to perform towards the end of it. Exactly, that it? exactly. 20 hours is really the point in that race where it starts. Would you have any advice for someone who is maybe t- thinking of try, uh, moving up to an ultramarathon or, or trying some kind of a big race? I would. Um, like, you know, it's enjoyable. Um, it'd be just building up the distance slowly. Um, you know, you'd, I, I, what I, the way I done it was like building up on a Saturday and building up on a Sunday. It is a lot of time. It's you know and that's what i found with it is that just with the way i train it's it's hours now i know look some other ultra marathon runners say you can do a, a marathon training plan and that will get you through an ultra marathon ultra marathon which which it probably will but for me i like to have all bases covered like i will have everything sort of down to a, a t that if anything does go wrong that we sort of have it covered um but yeah it's all about enjoying it like you see the same people time and time again and you know everybody's so supportive like the ultra running world is completely different to any other sort of racing world you know everybody wants to see everybody doing well there's no big egos within ultra running um like you see it there with ed mcgarty like he's he's the first man in ireland ever to break 250k in 24 hours and you'd never he- heard much about him on on social media i don't think he's even on social media you know so you have these people that are so humble um in what they do and you look up to these people like i've certainly looked up to these people and, and they've helped me progress in in ultra running we mentioned runners going off too fast at the start of an ultra marathon are, are there any other mistakes that you see ultramarathon runners making um a lot could be down to nutrition um like a lot of people think you can just live off uh gels and and tailwind for i think for 24 hours i think it's just it's not enough for you i think you need you need to eat uh whole foods um but you need to get the balance right of how much you can eat within an hour and you have to train with all this you know people go up or two weeks before uh they do a 24 hour i'll get a message and say keith i'm doing a 24 hour in two weeks time what should i eat and you go probably what you should have been eating in training because it's a bit late so what would be the lessons that you yourself have learned through running the ultramarathon not just from a strategic point of view but just in general um like i've, I've learned a lot around around food um, I've learned a lot around training and, you know, discipline uh, is is vital in these races because, as I said there, like, so, so many people go off way too fast. Like, when you look at um, some of the, say, the 24-hour races on a, on, a ra- on a track, most people there are running national record time 
in the first four or five hours you know and you can see it a mile away that it's they're no they're not going to hold that pace so you try to advise people just ease off let people pass you um and you know they're they will fall off you know 100 percent they will and you see it time and time again people walking at the for the last six hours um so yeah there's a lot a lot of that surrounding discipline and you know training as well like i've i've upped my training but again recovery is vitally important within training making sure you know your body um if you're feeling fatigued that you say you're feeling fatigued and you know get the balance of nutrition right eat 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 healthy i don't drink really i don't eat takeaways i cook all my own food um and it's it's just getting that fruit and veg and and carbohydrates in now let's talk a little bit about something you mentioned there the humbleness of the ultramarathon runner when you started nobody really knew who you were you were going into these races you were just another race number now there's kind of an expectation do you feel that that's going to put a little bit of extra pressure on you and if yes how do you think you're going to cope with that well, to be honest, with you, even now I, I do going into these races that I've done previously, there, there is a bit of an expectation. Um, but nobody puts more of an expectation on me than I put on myself. Um, I still feel like I'm sort of an imposter within the ultra running community because I, I'm new to it. There's there's lads there that are there for 10, 15 years. Um, as I said, these lads that I'm learning off of. So, you know like there's there's that thing that you say with the humbleness like and none of us go around as if we're you know the best people in the world we're not like we're the same as everybody else um we work hard at what we do um and we enjoy what we do um and i think every ultra runner is the same and you know the the lads there especially with ian and ed have a great relationship and the Malin head the mizzen head you know, Ed, Ed broke Ian's record and Ian was helping him out of, okay, this is what you need to do in different parts. Like it's, you don't get that in other sports. They're all nearly cutthroat sports, but ultra running is not like that at all. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. And there's a photograph that stands out to me is one from the end, I won't say finish line, but the end of the most recent Backyard Ultra where Mergen was shake yourself and themselves actually you were you were shaking hands before the lap started yes. and that seemed to be a regular thing because you were both you were competitors but you were helpers and you you both relied on each other to get to that distance and that's it that's the camaraderie you wanted to beat each other but you wanted to help each other yes exactly yeah uh, i think the photograph you're talking about is where we're we're uh, we're hugging because well there is another one where you're, you're just sh- yeah i've seen that yeah. one where you're shaking hands and it, i think it's it's as you were going into a lap okay yeah so anytime i i was always at the start line first and then moran would come up and we'd always shake hands you know and i think it's just a, a, it was nearly just a thing of like okay let's go again we're going to keep pushing this as far as we can um, and it's it's a mutual respect for each other that we brought each other to that point and as you said there like i can't go to 89 hours without him and he can't go to 90 hours without me um when i did drop out and he went off on his final lap um he took his time he was like 52 53 minutes and i said on my race report as well that like he's dead right to take his time soak it all in 
um, he got to the he got to the finish line, and he stopped and took a picture of everybody that was standing there uh, waiting for him. I think there was like ten or twelve people. There was a film crew there as well. He crossed the line, and first thing he did was where's Keith? He looked for me, um, and that's where that other picture comes in where he hugged me. Do you know what I mean? And he just thanked me for for being there for him um, in in an incredible race toe to toe, like you know and. There's never, that's insane, like the humbleness of him, he finished the race, he's world record holder, and the first thing he did was look for me just to thank me for what, the distance I had brought him. Yeah, that must have been special, and when you mention your race report, where can somebody find your race report? Yeah, you can find that on my Instagram bio, or you can find it on my Facebook page. And what's your Instagram bio? So my Instagram is Keith3Russell. Now I'm trying to think of what, uh, I think we've covered an awful lot and uh, that little break that we had through the train of thought, so what else have we got to uh, talk about? Actually, we mentioned your music at the start, so <laughs> seeing as we're kind of finished, I, I'll give you a chance to maybe, you know, tell me what was on your playlist. Even, I suppose, name, if, you, if you were to have one song that could be on repeat during a lap, what would it be? Oh, do you want to write it down? I don't really want to know. I, like, okay, I'm not going to push it because... <laughs> when, yeah. I, when I was running with Alana, I set up a whole running playlist. So it's all songs that were like, when I was pushing her, I'd sort of just sing to her. Now, I am absolutely no singer whatsoever. I'm not, not going to ask you to sing. <laughs> no. So just in case. No. Um, yeah, so it's songs that I had on it. and I, well, I, do you, do you think you don't have to answer. And you, know, you you might be judged not just by me, so you don't have to answer that question. So I, won't, I won't force you into it. Well, there's anything else we can add, or you think might be of interest before we finish up? Do you read any running books or any books in particular you could recommend? Or? I try. I try to start reading a few um, psychology books and stuff like that. You know, around sports psychology and how other people operate and high high performance sports. Um, and some of them do be very interesting about how, you know, the likes of uh, like the basketball players and, and all them sort of things. But like I, I find that a lot of them have big egos within uh, sports, American footballers. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just don't get that big ego thing. Boxers are the same. Look, I think Conor McGregor was great on in the early days. And then just ego got the better. I think money got the better of him. And um, I just don't. I don't think that ultra runners get like that at all. Um, and I think people just need to start. So even the Irish community need to start realizing how good of an ultra running community that we actually have. Um, you know, it's it's all going to start coming down to sort of to funding now. And we're going to European Championships in in Italy in September. Um, like athletes have to sort of fund their own flights and stuff like that. And um, you know, I, I think if we could get a sponsor or people could take notice of how well we can do and the potential that we have within Ireland for ultra running, um, I think that it, it could take off. Um, like you have some phenomenal runners there and, and I think up, up and coming runners as well that are going to look at the likes of me and the likes of um, new fellas coming in um, that haven't been at it that long and that can learn so much. So I think like it should... Ultra run in Ireland will become a big thing and, and I think people should start getting onto it now. Ego is the enemy. Ego is the enemy. Okay, Keith, well, I think we'll leave it at that and uh, 
I'll chat to you again soon. Thank so, you very much, John. Thanks very much for your time. And for anyone listening in, if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider forwarding it on to a friend or subscribing. And I can't say when the next one will happen because are you going to wait to have the right, uh, right subject matter? Talk to you soon. Bye.